0: Man flu, the worst pain known to mankind. But I'll stumble through. Thank you, Lord. That's been thinking over there. Everybody anybody ever remember um, Lee Marvin? The, the actor and the, the when he used to kinda sing songs. I was born <laughs> under a I've been singing like that all morning, so this morning I drew the short straw straw, straw. Um we uh, we normally have a, a kind of uh, send around. This is the subjects we're talking about in the next so many years, years so many months. Sometimes it feels like that. Um, and uh, everybody comes back, and this was the one that was left blank. Um, and a reason why I think is, dif- is, is quite difficult. We're talking today about the holiness of God. Have you ever tried thinking about that and defining it? So brave bunch that all our regular speakers are, they all left it. Um, so I'm doing it now they're they're great, all of them honestly. It's difficult to think of God's holiness because God's holiness is so extreme. We talked last- last uh a fortnight ago about our personal holiness, how root of the word the Greek word for holiness, which is you know what we have is uh means different or or other. And when God says, be holy as I am holy, then we can't even approach God's holiness. But we're somewhere, a very short way, even the most holy person that we might know or have heard of, is only a little way along the spectrum towards the holiness of God. And because God is so perfect and so other from us, or should I say we are so other from God, because he was here first, basically, then it's quite difficult for us, set in time, set in this imperfect world with our own sin and the other things that drag us back to actually comprehend God's holiness. But we're going to kind of try and see some of the things which hopefully will give us an insight into where the Lord's coming from, as it were, and what effect it has on us personally. It's always good to say, well, what, what am I going to do about that? What does God want me to do? What does he want me to be? What attitude should I have? Because otherwise there's no point in us reading the scriptures or talking about it or, or listening to people preach and teach and things like that. So let's set down a kind of baseline or set down some of these things, and then we'll look at, how we apply them. So he said, "We're very different from God. His ways, not our ways." In uh, Exodus fifteen eleven, where Moses is praising the Lord, he says, "Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders?" It's interesting that these. Words that describe God, these extreme words, if you like. Who is like you? Who is like you? Majestic in your holiness, awesome in glory, and then working wonders. The awesomeness of God leads to wonderful things happening. The holiness of God leads to something occurring, which in God's case is always amazing to behold, even when we think it's too late. Or too little. Somehow it's just on time. And perfectly enough. Because God knows. God gets it right every time. Even though we might think, "Eh, we've had it. And that's a result of God being holy. God being different. He knows. He he knits everything together. We can't comprehend comprehend his holiness. In his full presence as we read in the scripture, we would be destroyed. So we read the passage from Isaiah chapter 6, which is Isaiah's calling from the Lord. And you can see it absolutely gives Isaiah the the collywobbles or whatever you want. I've not said that for a long time. That's a, that's a, is that a northern word or does it un, is it the collywobbles? Right. Anyway. Listen to what he says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings. Two wing, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke woe to me I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes, the King, the Lord Almighty and whenever we get encounters like that, like Ezekiel and others, we find this sense of, I'm finished I'm destroyed, in such holiness then god appears they cannot stand it when moses requests the lord to show him his glory i want to know you're with me god i want to know because you're asking me to do a hard thing to lead these people out of israel and to take sorry to lead these people out of egypt and to take them to canaan and to take on the the land and you know these are difficult people and it's so hard let me know that you're with me let me know you're with us otherwise there's no point. Show me yourself. And God says, well, I can't show you myself because you'll be destroyed. You know, however, he says, says, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face But no one may see it and live. And in fact, God passes by him and he puts his hand in uh, in that sense over Moses. So he only sees him as the glory passes and he goes past him. The sense again of God's beauty and holiness and awesomeness and glory just undoes people. And God can choose to show us that glory or not. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, and we'll talk about that in a little while. But God is very different from us, and there's some areas that maybe it's worth just exploring, some examples. There are two qualities of God, if you like, in relation to us. There are what are called God's immutable, and there is another one which I've forgotten for the moment, um, but it's non-mutable. Basically, the ones where we have some similarities because we're made in the image of God, and there are some which we can't do. And so we'll look at those. And it's important we see these because God's perspective on things is very different from ours because he's coming from a different place. So first of all, one example in which God is very different from us is that he's independent. God doesn't need us or the rest of uh, creation or anything else. He doesn't need to uh, lean on us in any way. And the Bible teaches that God does not need any part of creation to exist. He's completely self-sufficient and independent. And we're not. And we never can be. We're created by God. We're created beings no matter what you believe about creation. We're here and we're dependent upon so many other things. We're dependent upon practically everything, one another. We're dependent upon, you know, the fact that the house hasn't collapsed overnight, that um, we can get to work on time, we can do every uh, you know, the train turning up. And that's just a few examples. We're dependent upon the earth not exploding and the sun, you know, coming to uh, sort of consumers and that we're at exactly in the right place where God has put the, the earth so is there. We're neither too hot nor too cold. All those things were very, very dependent. Life is very, very fragile. But God doesn't depend on anything. He has no fragility at all. He doesn't need us or anything else. you look in Acts 17, 24 and 25, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself gives all men life and breath and everything. So that's one way in which God is so very, very different from us, or vice versa. And no one's ever contributed anything to God that God didn't give them first. All things come of you, O God, and of your own we give you. We say that, don't we? God is in perfect fellowship. He doesn't need emotional support. He has his perfect uh, relationship with the with the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're in perfect unity, and don't need anything outside of themselves, thems- or himself. Now, you might think, well, what's the point of us in that? Just a little aside, in case anyone's a bit worried. Well, God wants us to give him glory he wants us to recognize him because it gives him joy he doesn't need that joy he's not some narcissist right he's not someone who says well i need that because i'm you know I need to be acknowledged guys you know god basically said that you are meaningful to me i want you just for who you are that's why i've created you And if you haven't got significance, your significance is because, if you don't feel you have significance, our definition of significance, if you like, is that God wants us. It's as simple as that. He created us to give him glory, and that gives him joy. And he wants us to be his people, and he wants a relationship with us. And it's not the relationship I was implying a couple of weeks ago about us and our dogs. Well, it's kind of like that in a way, you know. I'll just get to mention of the dogs in again. They're lovely. Maybe that's. It. I'll try and do that. I'll try and do that every time I speak from now till. Oh, don't groan. It makes you pay attention. You see, won't you? You go. Oh, he said it then. So, but then you might just be watching for the dogs. Anyway, it's not significant. Insignificant that dog and God turn them around. Same word. Anyway. I don't worship the dogs. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. Sorry, I'm a bit slow. It is um, a little difficult to speak. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. That's it. That is our purpose in life. The things we do the things we are, the things we think, they're all there to bring glory to God. And that's what he wants us for. That is our significance. That is a lifetime of working on it, of pleasing him, of finding his will, of doing good deeds and good works, of worshiping him. Another attribute of God is his unchangeableness. Now, I have friends who I can agree something with, and by the time we've departed, we've, something else has happened, or it's changed three or four times, or, or whatever. We say we'll do such and such, and then we can't do it, or we don't want to do it, and it's not what we thought it was, and, and everything. God's got a plan, and God can have a plan because things never change for God. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. In James 1.17, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Lots of things change around us. When I was doing counseling, we were always taught that people's insecurities are based on things that shift. And the secular view is that you must bring their insecurities of things that shift and make them feel unstable and out of control to things that are more stable and make them feel more in control. That's okay. till so that then starts to wobble. And then you have to move to another thing because the only constant thing is God. So to my mind, in the end, ultimately, the only way in which we can have stability in our lives is to know the Lord because he doesn't change. He is the rock, you know, He is the one who is solid, firm. He's not like the sand, and even the rocks fall down. Nothing is as stable as the Lord. So putting your trust in him is the best way to overcome anxiety and to overcome so many other things. In Psalm 102, verse 27, it says, But you remain the same, and your years will never end. So God is always the same, never changes. He doesn't change, but he does act and feel emotions as well as responding to different situations. So if God's saying something and the situation changes for us, God doesn't change, but he does respond. He stays consistent within himself, but he does respond. So we see that in uh, Jonah, uh, when Jonah went to Nineveh, and we all know the story. He was there to tell them that the city was going to be destroyed. Um, and he was breathing you know, fire and brimstone at them. And they repented. So God said, I've changed my mind in that sense. He said, I'm not changed because I'm God of mercy. I'm a God who loves my people. And these people have genuinely repented. So I'm not going to destroy them. And the one who was knocked about it was Jonah. Why haven't you done this? And he goes and sulks. And God points out to him while he's sulking that he was more upset about a plant that was giving him shade that died than how many of thousand people that were in Nineveh. A bit perverse, but God didn't change. Jonah might have changed. The people's attitude might have changed, but God didn't change. He was consistent in his way, but the circumstances uh, made him change. And it's a bit like us as well. Again, we can rely upon God. We can rely upon his unchangeableness. But we cannot t- rely upon the direction in which he's going because he'll change it. You know, we think, "Oh, I know, I know what the Lord's doing. I'm going to do this and and that." And then suddenly he changes everything, and he says, "Nah, I don't want you to be a nurse. I want you to be a gardener." He say, "I don't want you to uh, do this. I want you to do that." And he changes. Does not that he's changing his mind as such? He's responding to the circumstances which he knows is going to happen anyway. But his nature is the same, so we can always rely upon him. So when things are going badly, when things are different to what we expected, when we get the collie wobbles about stuff, we can always rely upon God because he's constantly moving but never changing. God has no beginning and no end. God has no beginning and no end. Now, it's different from us in that we do have a beginning And in a sense, in this world, we have an end. But if we put our trust in Jesus, we too will have no end. So God's different at one end and the same as us at the other end, if you like. And that's important. God always existed, always is. We often see eternity in a sense of it had been a long time. Yeah? And so I remember when I was younger, I used to think, how boring it's gonna to be to worship God forever. Because that's an awful long time. And I'm sure I might want to go to the toilet or might want a bit of a break. Might get sent to the naughty step in heaven, whatever the cell. And it kind of made me think a bit, well, it's alright worshiping, you know. And you don't tend to think of God's glory and you know, or trying to encourage myself thinking, well, God is gonna be so glorious, and, so, and it may well be, I'm sure, that God is so glorious that I'll never get fed up with it, but it's an awful long time, you know. But the whole thing is that God, unlike us, which is another thing about God, is not stuck in time. He created time. And therefore, it's hard to imagine, but we'll never get bored, because boredom is a function of time. The longer it goes on, like this talk, the more bored you get. And if I went on and on, which I never do, then you start thinking, oh, I wish you'd shut up. And even if God is so wonderful and everything, we're kind of tempted to think that, isn't it? Like a bit of a break, you know, have a drink or something. Um, But it's not like that, because we're completely outside of time. Time doesn't apply anymore. So a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Of course it is, because it doesn't exist, but the same. So God is eternal, and he is in Revelation 1, eight. we see it here. And the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. The reason he was and is and is to come is because he's there in all of it. we think at times, kind of like, in a simple way, think of God standing outside of time, and the whole of creation is like, he creates it, and then he finishes it. And it's like a long line, a worm or something, and he intervenes. That's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but he's outside of the time. He's in a timeless state, and he's everywhere in time at once. And it's not just in respect of time, but it's also in respect to space. God is with us here and now, if you like, at exactly the same time as he was with Jesus. When Jesus came to earth in time. And the people who follow us, he's there at the same time as them. He's there at the beginning of the world. He's there at the end. All of that, he's there at the same time. Now we're not. And he's in everywhere as well. So he's there in Time and he's there in space. You know? Not just like Doctor Who in the TARDIS. He can go anywhere. He is there already. Yeah. And wherever it is. It doesn't just climb into the TARDIS and there's more space. It's just he's there already. He's everywhere. Which is another great comfort because he's not distant. He's not away. You know. He's here with us now. Jeremiah 23 says am i god am i a god at hand says the lord and not a god far off can a man hide himself in secret places so that i cannot see him says the lord do i not fill heaven and earth says the lord he's all around us he hears everything sees everything he's omnis, omniscient he knows everything he's omnipotent he has all time he's omnipresent he's everywhere Run out of omnibus. And though he's everywhere and he is in all of time, he reveals himself in different ways. And sometimes he's a great storm, he's a mighty wind, and sometimes he's a small voice. And that's his choice. He can hide himself, he can show himself how he wants to. And just very briefly, would like to talk about the glory of God. Because God's holiness is difference, his otherness, his magnificence, and his glory are often inseparable. We hear about God's holiness. A lot of the verses in the Bible refer to God's holiness and his glory, that they're together. Now, God's holiness is how he is, is what he is. God's glory is our recognition of that holiness, where God reveals himself as he is. And he is so other, so perfect, so different in all these ways. And so, I was going to say extreme. is more than extreme. He is the ultimate, all right, in every sense. That glory we feel, that glory that overwhelms people is our recognition of that. And the Lord does limit it sometimes, and he does limit it in a sense of of how much we see. Because, again, that glory would destroy us. 1 Kings 8, 10 to 11. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. That's when they're dedicating the temple. We heard about the tabernacle last week. Temple laid out pretty much the same. But instead of... um, big curtains, um, it's uh, big walls. And uh, Solomon's dedicating it. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Repeating that, in a sense, in Revelation 15, John's vision, it says in verse 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power, so no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And we'll cover that another time. But he also hides it from us when it's his purpose. So you think of Jesus. Jesus was God, and yet that glory was rarely seen because he had another purpose, to come as a man and to be amongst us. In Isaiah 53, it says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man suffering and familiar with pain, like one for whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And yet Jesus had all the glory of God because he was God and yet chose to keep it hidden. So sometimes we see God in all his glory Sometimes we don't even recognize him. We read of giving glory to God or glorifying Him. We don't add to His glory. That's the point I was making before. We recognize it. We don't add to His glory in that way. True holiness, that is our personal holiness, always gives glory to God, and this is where, this is how we, one of the ways in which we grow in personal holiness. So. Listen to this carefully. True holiness always gives glory to God alone. To lose sight of ourself, which is a lot, we see a lot in the Bible, a lot of kingdom-type thinking, and to give the glory to God increases our personal holiness. Right? So giving glory to God, worshiping the Lord, giving him all the glory, and not taking the glory for ourselves that increases our holiness. It says in Isaiah 29:23, "When they see amongst them their children the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy, they will acknowledge the holiness of the holy One of Jacob, and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. So we've become more holy, we give that awe, we have that awe for God, and we give him the glory. His glory, as we said, is a reflection of who he is. It's our recognition of who he is. It's what he allows us to see of who he is. So being holy, i.e. different for God, as he is holy, leads us to doing good, which brings further glory to our Heavenly Father when other people see it happen. It says in 1 Peter 2:12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. God's glory is the outshining of his holiness and we ourselves will become more pleasing to him as we become more holy by acknowledging his awesome glory. The basic thing is give glory to God, and it happens because he is holy. He is worthy. Now, I could go on forever, um, as you well know. (laughs) And the more I look at this, the more I've looked at so many verses and so many different commentaries on the holiness of God, the only thing it does is it just makes me feel, well, what an awesome God we have once again. And we have to revisit that. We have to live there, really, if we can in that, bathing in that glory, acknowledging the holiness of God. And as we do, it will spare us into two things to do that even more and to do the good things, to be truly holy, not someone who's kind of floating about going, bless you, bless you, you whatever. That's okay. But we've got to come down to earth and do the stuff because God is real. God intervenes in the real world. God is full of mercy and truth. And there are lots of things, lots of aspects of our lives where we do reflect God's character. We're creative. I was thinking the other day, why do we like beautiful scenery? I, I love to be in the countryside. But it's grass. It's all soil and wood and trees. and You know, what? what is it about? It's just like, it's like anything else. Well, why do I like to be in the countryside? Why do I, you know... It's a strange thing, isn't it? I mean, we do, don't we? Most of us, unless you're complete Philistine, you kind of like the beauty of nature, yeah? But why? Why not? I mean, they might say it's because we're hopping back to when we're Neolithic or something, and we somehow feel more comfortable in the environment running around in an animal skin. Maybe. I don't know. But even then, why? And I believe it's because (laughs) it's God's creation, And we see joy in it. And we say, wow, that is beautiful. Why? Because inherently, we know it's God's creation. God made that. And God loves it. And so do we. But there's lots of other things. His mercy, his love. Our love for one another. Why should we? Why shouldn't we turn on every man for himself? And yet we acknowledge, particularly when we love the Lord, that we love one another. And we love one another because he first loved us. And that doesn't just mean he first loved us when we got saved or when Jesus died. That means he loved us right at the beginning, right when he first said, I'm going to make mankind. And why? Because I want to. And I'm going to show him my glory. And it gives me great joy when he sees my glory and acknowledges it. There are lots of other ways. We're like God. We're creative ourselves. We make things. We take joy in doing that. Anyway, I could go on. just want to finish with, uh, with these verses from Revelation 15. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed.